Monolingualism is the illiteracy of the 21st century. I'm Greg Roberts, Director of Dual Language Studies, American Councils for International Education. Fernando, that line, monolingualism is the illiteracy of the 21st century, struck like a bolt of lightning when Greg Roberts first said it five years ago. That's what I understand, Steve, and not just in the United States. Yes, here's Greg on that. It actually has made it quite a few places around the world. BBC Mundo uh, published an article about it. So I've seen it pop up in Madrid, seen it pop up in Buenos Aires, in Bogota, Colombia. So it has made it around because it's kind of catchy and it's very true. Some people are a little offended by it, but you know, what's the quote if it can't offend or at least shock people sometimes? You know, I get the offensive part. After all, I'm a monolingual myself, or recovering monolingual. If it's true that monolingualism is the illiteracy of the 21st century, then most Americans are illiterate, which is pretty hard to stomach. Yet it's a favorite bumper sticker among world language teachers. Yes, listeners can see a photo in our episode notes. I asked Greg how he came up with the quote. I actually said that back in 2013 at a National Language Chinese Conference in Boston. Uh, I was on a panel and we were presenting and it came up the question of why is it that Americans have this love affair with English only and that's how the quote came about. Just one of those things that just pop into your head that you never know what's gonna, where it's going to go. Greg is known not mainly as the author of that provocative line, but as a leader in the dual language movement that many think could and should become a revolution in American schools. And we're going to introduce our listeners to the dual language movement. But first, let's welcome everyone to America the Bilingual, a podcast that reports on and encourages the bilingual movement in America. I'm Steve Levine. And I'm Fernando Hernandez. Steve, let's hear more about this revolution. Fernando, imagine there was a new way of teaching that results in most students becoming truly bilingual and biliterate before finishing high school. Imagine if this new way of teaching also helped American students rise up in academic achievement overall. And finally, imagine if this new way of teaching could also help students develop more empathy toward others, others both in our own country and abroad. Well, okay, we might call that a revolution. And we don't have to just imagine it, it exists. It goes by the name dual language education and it's growing fast in America. Explain what it is exactly. Dual language education is when students are taught half the day in English and half the day in another language. We're not talking about language classes that we all know about, but rather using a language, like Spanish or Chinese or French, to teach subjects, subjects like science, history, social studies, and math. But hold on, how can kids learn math in French if they don't understand French? Because they start dual language schools at kindergarten or even earlier in preschool, when kids are little language learning monsters, and then continue building upon their skills in each grade. It turns out there are several surprising benefits to dual language education, which is why it's making such big waves in America. And not just in America. 
I attended a private high school in Guadalajara that offered dual language education. It was kind of funny to learn Mexican history in English with a British teacher, for example. I'm glad we're not just doing one episode on the dual language movement, but a two-parter. Yes, our research on dual language education has so far taken us to schools in California and Miami, to conferences in Albuquerque and Nashville, and to the campuses of Stanford and Harvard for interviews with experts. I asked Greg Roberts if dual language instruction has the potential to revolutionize teaching in America. Absolutely. I think uh, dual language is a game changer for the United States and for our American students. Turns out that the state of Utah is one of the pioneers in dual language education, and Greg led that initiative from its inception until last year when he took his current position with American councils in order to help expand dual language education nationally. language is a very hot topic and it is definitely growing. The purpose of American Council is that we have formed a research alliance, so we really want to facilitate much more research done in the area of dual language. First up is to examine the goals of dual language programs around the nation. Most experts out there today agree that there are three major goal areas for dual language. One is academic achievement, one is bilingual biliteracy, and the other one is cultural competency. Greg wants to share best practices for expanding the number of school years or grades in which dual language instruction is offered. Most dual language programs today only run through elementary school. And if we're really going to be serious about dual language, we need to have programs that have much longer systemic function. So they need to be at least K-8, but preferably K-12 programs. Steve, you mentioned you attended a conference on dual language education. Yes, I attended a conference held in Albuquerque called La Cosecha, which means the harvest. It's all about dual language instruction, and it was the 20th year that the conference was held. 20 years. So that means there's already young Americans who have been educated through dual language instruction. What was the conference like? I thought it would be a tiny little affair, but there were over 2,000 attendees, which set a record for attendance. They were teachers and school administrators from all over the U.S. I was able to interview several leaders in the field, including Jim Lyons, who was executive director of the National Association of Bilingual Education and is now senior policy advisor to the Dual Language Education of New Mexico, which hosts the conference. I asked Jim why American children should learn another language. I find people, well-educated people, say why we should learn other languages. They'll say so that we can be better competitors. Yes, you can be better competitors. But there's something even more important and fundamental. You can be better collaborators. And the real challenges that our children will face can only be solved through international and world collaboration. And until you understand someone, you can't really be a good collaborator. Give us a picture of Jim. Hmm, think of a silver-haired senior statesman. When Jim addressed the biggest audience at the convention, standing before maybe 1,000 people, I could feel the audience's appreciation for him. I was able to sit down with Jim in the crowded convention center. I sense that that's what's going on at this conference, that it's no longer about uh, let's be fair to the people who need to learn English, although that's important, 
but it's something beyond that. Is that true? Oh, it's way beyond that. And of course, the interesting thing is kids that are exposed to quality dual language programs have the highest level of English proficiency, even though they started into the program not knowing a word of English. So let me ask you, you're saying that a Latino child, perhaps the child of immigrants, will start in a dual language program and that they will, their English levels will excel versus a program that's all in English. Yeah, what we find is a program that uses the language the child brings to school for some or part of the day produces better results in terms of English language acquisition than a program that doesn't. It seems a little counterintuitive. Why does it work that way? On its surface, it is counterintuitive that you would actually learn more English by learning in and even about another language, but that's how it works. The mind is a beautiful machine that puts it all together. And what about the Anglo kids that go into such schools? They have a real-life opportunity, finally, to become bilingual or multilingual. Our whole system of language education in this country is really very inferior to what we experience in the world. And very few native-born English speaking children in the United States ever become fully proficient in another language. If I'm a parent of, uh, if I'm an Anglo parent and I have English speaking children to go off to a dual language school, isn't that going to um, hurt their English skills compared to the, the Anglo kids that go in all English schools? No, it will enhance their English skills. Once one has experience, at least in terms of instruction in multiple languages, what is called metacognition, the big picture, if you will, of our understanding of language grows and is heightened. It's such an opportunity. Steve, how did dual language education get started? Greg told me that there were a few dual language schools in Utah as far back as the 1970s, but the idea really didn't take off until a governor got behind it. How that really came about is that we had a very enlightened governor, John Huntsman, back in 2008, and we had a superstar state senator, Howard Stevenson, and they really wanted to start looking at language policy in Utah Huntsman spoke Chinese, and Stevenson visited China on multiple occasions, and they really thought that Utahns needed to start learning languages like Chinese. At first, they just offered language classes in Chinese and Arabic, but were dissatisfied with the results. And they said, if we're truly serious about proficiency, we need to start young. I was at the State Board of Education, and we had the discussion about maybe we should start a dual language immersion program. So, of course, the obvious languages came up, which were Chinese and Spanish. And then, since I'm a former French teacher, I interjected, and we must do French. And that's how it started in 2009. We had legislation, Senate Bill 41, which created the Utah Dual Language Immersion Program. We started in 2009 with 25 schools. Greg explained that the leadership in Utah wants to take dual language education all the way through college. 
And you know, the Utah model is quite unique and it's something that's never happened anywhere in the country. Uh, the Utah students take the AP exam in ninth grade. We have created a program called the Utah Bridge Program, which offers these students who pass the AP in ninth grade 3,000 level, so upper division university classes in the foreign language in 10th, 11th, and 12th grade. So that when Utah students graduate from high school, they're only two classes short of having a foreign language minor, which means that they'll be able to go on and do double majors. Does he mean a double major with a language being one of the majors? Exactly. That really is the student of the future, somebody who can major in Chinese and engineering, Spanish and business, French and medicine. The possibilities are endless. mentioned that Governor John Huntsman was behind the legislation. Yes, Huntsman was ambassador to China and studied Chinese for many years so that he could really be effective. Greg told me Huntsman also worked on his Spanish to speak with the many Spanish speakers who were relocating to Utah. And now he's the ambassador to Russia, so who knows what his third language might be or fourth language might be. At the Cosecha conference, Jim Lyons told me Huntsman was quick to realize the economic benefits to his state if young people could become fluent in another language. He saw the benefits of it when he was ambassador. He could truly have a meaningful exchange of ideas, not stilted through a translator. So Huntsman took his experience back home to Utah. Yes. Utah is maybe the first state to boldly declare as a goal the development of at least two languages of all public school students. On a business conference call, I was able to ask Governor Huntsman to explain his language leadership in Utah. He answered that you can't understand China in any depth, and certainly not the nuances of Chinese politics, without understanding their language. He said, and I'm quoting here, I know it sounds like a very unrepublican thing to do, but we actually, through state-appropriated money, built some serious muscle around internationally important languages like Mandarin Chinese, like Spanish, like French, and an Arabic program. Huntsman is proud that Utah is now graduating its first fully bilingual students. I'm quoting again from a job acquisition standpoint, from an understanding the world better standpoint, from a confidence standpoint, it's a huge benefit that we're giving these kids and I think they'll benefit enormously from it. But wait a minute, Steve. Utah is known for its Mormons. Is this just so they can be better missionaries? You know, I asked Greg about that. That's been said and that question's been asked to me so many times that all I can say is that, you know, this was started as a state program back in 2009. If that were the reason why it was started, it would have been started 100 years ago, which it was not. Greg said economics is driving the bus, not religion. I asked Greg if he himself is a Mormon. No, I'm not, actually. I was born and raised in Salt Lake City and I'm not Mormon. Greg says Salt Lake City is only about 30% Mormon, but the high percentage of Mormons in the state overall, 65 to 70%, does make for a receptive audience for the dual language movement. I have been all around the state doing parent meetings, and it's a very receptive audience because, you know, LDS people or Mormons who go on their missions all over the world understand that language and culture are very, very important and don't necessarily associate with the political agenda as some people do in other parts of the countries. And that's why in Utah that 
dueling, which has really become a, as we would say, purple issue. It's not a Democratic issue. It's not a Republican issue. The entire state legislature and the governor work together for the benefit of Utah students. Jim Lyons also says that the Mormon beliefs are important for Utah's language initiatives, but sees that as a useful thing. But if you know the world's languages, you can not only sell them your religion, <laughs> you can get their purchases, you can provide an array of goods and services that you otherwise wouldn't be able to. So do you think Utah and the Mormons are setting an example the rest of the United States should follow? I think they are. There are other places that are also setting the example, but in terms of a state policy and program, definitely Utah is right out there. So there must be a lot of happy Mormon parents in Utah because their children are being educated bilingually. Well, there's actually more demand than supply for dual language programs. Only about 10% of students have been able to get into dual language programs, so lots of parents are getting frustrated. They're getting upset about dual language because their kids don't have the opportunity to participate. So they see that if their kids are being left behind, which is not making them particularly happy. One of the problems that's making it hard to expand dual language instruction, Greg admits, are some of the veteran teachers. We have a lot of educators that see a change in the system, that they don't like change. I mean, unfortunately, we in education hate change probably the more than any other profession out there. I mean, fortunately, the business community changes, the medical community changes, sometimes the education. If we want to make a parallel to medicine, we would still be sawing off limbs without anesthesia. But if some teachers are resistant to change, there is another problem concerning teachers getting enough of them. You also have to remember there are constraints, especially with finding qualified teachers. Utah has taken a very aggressive kind of role in that we do recruit internationally. We recruit teachers from China, Taiwan, Mexico, Peru, Spain, Brazil, France, Germany. So we do have a very kind of like prolific recruitment. And they are not relying just on imports either. We're also growing our own teachers within our own universities. And we also have a, a very aggressive alternative route to certification program for native speakers of the language who might already live in the state and who would like to become an educator. Steve, in Mexico, we have dual language education in private schools. Does it exist in other countries? Yes, it does. In our episode notes on our website, listeners will find links to a book written in 2015 showing examples of dual language programs in Colombia, Estonia, Malta, South Africa, and many other countries. The authors say such programs are destined to become mainstream around the world and will flourish in the 21st century. Here's Greg. We're one of the few countries where we really value monolingual education. In most parts of the world, it is normal for kids to be learning in two or even three languages. And I would hope that the United States will really start to examine itself from an educational perspective of why is it that we just cling on to our monolingual view of society and the world. 
believe we know people who think they can just get by with Google Translate and not have to bother learning another language. Greg says that if people believe that, they are naive. He says some Americans think if they just bring in enough translators and lawyers, they can do business. But he claims the world does business in restaurants and golf courses. If we can't understand people ourselves, says Greg, we're just not in the ballgame. You see a rise of Chinese across the world. I think you see a huge rise in French in Africa. Even President Macron was stating just the other day that he expects French to be the number one language in Africa. I think that we really need to take a much more uh, global view and you know, be able to equip our students with all the tools possible for them to be successful in the 21st century. Is dual language instruction going to do it by itself? What about study abroad? I asked Greg about study abroad. It's huge. I absolutely think that we will not have very successful programs unless we have a study abroad component. I mean, students really need an in-country experience to really absorb the cultural, the idiosyncrasies of the language, the daily living. I really think more Americans need to study abroad. It should be a part of our educational fabric. So Utah started in 2009 with 25 schools. How much has it grown since then? The program has grown. So as we speak today, there are 196 schools with about 39,000 students uh, enrolled in six languages. Since the original Chinese, French, and Spanish, we have added Portuguese, German, and now Russian. I asked Greg whether dual language education costs more than monolingual instruction. He said in Utah it costs an incremental $100 per student per year and adds that's not much money to change a student's life forever. As a result of Utah's pioneering efforts, the state receives lots of visitors. There for a while, some people made the comment that maybe half of my salary should be paid by the Utah Tourism Bureau, since it seems like we've we've had 35 states at least come here for visits and probably about 10 foreign countries. So we love showing our schools. We welcome people to come here. We're very proud of them. And we believe about collaboration. We believe in helping everyone. It's not, we don't want to keep this as a guarded secret just for Utah. We really believe this is for all American students and even students in the world today. Steve, I know that in the U.S. there are big gaps in achievement between schools with lower-income students versus schools in rich towns. Yes, and we'll be talking about the achievement gap and questions of equity in our second episode on dual-language instruction. Greg believes dual-language schools can play an important role in addressing the achievement gap. I think dual language can be used as a school integration issue. I think we need to do a lot better job in this country of really integrating our schools and not having schools for the haves and the have-nots per se. I don't like that terminology, but that's what some would call it. And, And I think dual language can serve that purpose. How big does Greg think dual language can become? Greg thinks it can become the norm in Utah in 20 years, which means most students in Utah will be in dual language instruction. He thinks our nation could get there too, so long as we value the languages of our new immigrants. My hope would be is that we continue to encourage the growth of those languages that come 
to the United States and not like the old days of Ellis Island, tell everyone they have to speak English only and we don't value your language. I mean, that was really a crime. If you think about what happened in Ellis Island, we had this wealth of languages coming from all over the world to the United States. And once they arrived here, within about the second generation, those students had lost their home language simply because they were told you could only speak English in school. I certainly hope we don't make that mistake again. We could learn from history. As a Mexican, that sure sounds good to me. Over 7 million people in my country speak some indigenous language. Imagine if the Spaniards had allowed those languages to flourish. Me too, and I do sense a change in America. I haven't met an immigrant parent who didn't want their children to master English completely and retain their heritage language too. One funny thing, Fernando, Jim Lyons, the elder statesman of bilingualism we've heard from in this show, Yes. He's a monolingual. <laughs> really? I asked him about it. So, Jim, you told me that you're a monolingual. And so, as a monolingual, why are you so passionate about bilingualism? Because it's the hope of the future. Fernando, it seems bilingualism is on the rise around the world as we learn more about its benefits and learn how to improve education. Where monolinguals exist, they tend to be older and less well-educated people and live in large nation-states like Brazil and Japan, and even in Europe and Italy, France, and Spain. And Mexico and the United States. Yes, and as someone who is educated in the United States in the second half of the 20th century, I'm beginning to imagine that we'll look back at that era of American education and shake our heads at the potential we squandered by depriving students of their capacity to learn in multiple languages. And your generation might be the last of the monolinguals. Ojalá que sí, mi amigo. I hope so, my friend. America the Bilingual is part of the Lead with Languages campaign of ACTFL, the American Council on the Teaching of Foreign Languages. The programs are written by me, Steve Levine, and our producer, Fernando Hernandez, who also does our cool sound design and mixing. Our associate producer is Becky Rankin. Check out the rest of the cast at americathebilingual.com, including Mim Harrison, Maya Thomas, Carlos Plaza, Daruma Tech, and especially our mascot, Chet. The title theme music for the America the Bilingual podcast with a Creative Commons attribution license by Kevin McLeod. Thanks for listening for America the Bilingual. This is Steve Levine.